everyone. Welcome back to another episode of That's Not Crazy. We are two psych nurses trying to normalize conversations about mental health. And we talk about feelings and thoughts and experiences and life and hope to make it a little bit easier for other people to do the same. That was beautiful. Good job. My (laughs) name is Molly and I am a registered nurse. I work in hospice and have a varied background in different behavioral health and mental health capacities. And you are an MP student. Oh, I forgot. Working at getting your mental health. Oh, yeah. There's that. I am in a program to become a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner, and I'm about six weeks into it, and it is torturous. (laughs) I'm sure we'll hear about that in our lows and highs. (laughs) Uh, My name's Irene. I'm an LBN. I'm currently in an RN BSN program. I've worked in mental health for a long time. I am currently working in hospice and mental health. I have a background in drug and alcohol counseling because I left nursing for a while. It's all in our first episode. Go listen to that. And today we have our very good friend, Monica, here. Today we're going to be talking about addiction and sobriety. But first, we're going to do our lows and highs. I'll go first. My low this week is I went to the gas station earlier this week, and there was this little guy digging through the trash can for cans and various things. There was a guy in a truck next to him pumping gas. He saw the guy digging through the trash and got very angry. Started yelling at him and telling him, go away, get out of here, shoo, like he was a fly and like moving his hand along, telling him, get get out of here, move along, get out of here. And like yelling at him. I'm saying it in a nicer way. Like he was yelling at him. He was like, get the F out of here. What's wrong with you? Give me some space. And he was like eight feet away. I'm like, what do you mean? Give this piece. I don't know. I didn't get it. And it made me very angry and very sad. I felt helpless. It was like, how, like, what can I do in this situation? I don't know because this guy is visibly angry. I don't know what to do. I have my daughter in the car. It was kind of a scary situation. But I just pulled out all of my <laughs> beer bottles. <laughs> all, of, all of my water bottles out of my car and gave them to the guy. And the guy in the truck was just like, visibly upset with me and just like got in his car and left and just like was shaking his head and was just so disgusted with me that I would help somebody out. I just didn't get it. I didn't understand it. And it bothered me for the rest of the day. And I was just angry. Yeah. I also was feeling bad. I was like, should I have done something more? Should I have like said something to the guy? Should I have intervened somehow and be able to tell the guy? Yeah. Like, hey, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I just, I didn't know. And I felt like surprised by it and really sad. My high for the week is that I'm starting to get used to running and I'm like starting to feel this running high. So it's like this really cool feeling after I'm finished with my run, even like during my run, just like, oh yeah, this feels so good. And I feel high and I feel so happy. I feel good about life and nothing else bothers me. And for the rest of the day, I'm just so relaxed, and I don't even care about anything. She's like, yeah, that's fine. Go do whatever. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) 
just so at ease for the rest of the day. So that's been really nice. Really good for my mental health. That's my low and high. My low is pretty similar to what it has been over the last few weeks, which I'm like weirdly insecure about. And I'm like sitting here like, oh, I can't say I'm overwhelmed and I can't say I'm exhausted because people are probably tired of hearing about that and I should just get over it and suck it up by now. But the truth is I'm still overwhelmed and exhausted and just having a hard time doing all of the things that I feel obligated to do right now. And it's defeating and exhausting and it makes me feel insecure and I feel like I've said this before but I beat myself up for the fact that these things are hard for me like why can't I just do this and why is it so hard for me and I must be dumb or whatever stupid adjective you can put in there I just beat myself up for struggling so that's what I'm dealing with. And then today, this morning, I was woken up by some tragic news. And I'm like, fuck, one more thing to add to this complicated situation that I'm in and trying to support others when my tank is very low is tough. And I'm getting a little tearful but that's a honest truth so they always say like you can't pour from an empty cup and my cup's not quite empty but it's not full for sure and uh I'm I'm having a hard time accepting that and having to either create boundaries or just admit when I just can't like I would love to help people with certain things. I would love to be able to support those who are really directly connected to this tragedy. A little bit of it is I don't know how and another part of it is just like I don't have it in me right now. That's the low and the high is pretty related to your high because while you're high on life and jogging around and doing who knows what around town, you're <laughs> you're feeling all happy and complimentary and whatever. And I'm like on my lunch break at work and you said something about something and then you were like, and by the way, I really like your butt. Your butt always looks good in leggings. And I was like, oh, thank you. That's really nice. Because on top of that, I have like this body shaming thing going on with myself and like I don't feel my best I don't think I look my best whatever that even means and I'm just like down on myself and so to get a nice compliment just like perked me up and made me feel good so thank you for that oh you're welcome for saying I have a nice butt (laughs) well you do thank you (laughs) y'all should see it What do you think, Monica? (laughs) She just got real uncomfortable. She's like, okay, this took a turn. (laughs) So share with us your lows and highs if you feel so inclined. Uh, All right. So kind of a a joint kind of situation. Um, My low would be 
I'm applying for my state certification for massage therapy. That part's not the low part, but um, having to address and account for all my criminal history, that's definitely a hard thing to swallow. How did that make you feel? What Mm. are emotion words that you can use? Mm. How did that make you feel when you were doing that? Got it. Ugh. Sad, remorseful, overwhelmed, started questioning my abilities. That imposter syndrome, like, who do I think I am trying to do this? Exactly. And it was exhausting. Really, it was exhausting. Because there's an application form that online to address all the criminal history or whatever. There's only a few spaces allowed. (laughs) 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 So, uh, yeah. So anyway, so I had to give them a call, you know, verbally go over it. Then they, you know, gave me instructions as to how to do it. (laughs) Which meant I had to now make a document. And um, anyway, needless to say, it was like my past was in my face, like over and over and over and over again. And so it was borderline defeating. But in the same sense, with the high part, I was able to do it. I persevered with each event that I was writing down. I was able to not immediately, but I was able to come to a place of like, okay, so you've been through that. You overcome that what's next, do the next right thing, just keep going. So that's kind of new behavior for me to be able to address that and keep with that. So that felt really good. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. So Monica joins us today with personal experience with addiction and sobriety and the things that go along with those things. So tell us a little bit about you and your story and how you got to where you are now and all that. So my name is Monica. Do you feel like you? <laughs> my name is Monica and I'm an addict. Yeah. Hi, yeah. Monica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost went there. I almost went there. I was like, can we pause this? Um, yeah, so, so my name is Monica and I'm a massage therapist got about four, four and a half years of sobriety after a long stint of addiction. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Good. Thank you. Um, a place that definitely I thought I was never going to be able to come out of. So Monica, you mentioned that in your lows that you have a whole history and you just had two lines to fill it out. How many convictions or (laughs) how many lines did that take yeah Yeah. 22 okay so yeah 22 different criminal offenses all related to drug use drugs and alcohol yeah and there's some theft in there but all things that while I was under the influence yeah ranging from I've got like three DUIs been to prison been in and out of jail Definitely some hypodermic needle activity going on in there, too. There's even, oh my gosh. It's a wide range. (laughs) Yeah, wide range, for sure. When, um, how long had you been using before you started getting arrested or getting in trouble or things started going a little haywire for you? 
Yeah, was there like a point where you're like, it's normal, it's cool, I have it under control, and then it like intensified or? Yeah, um, there was, okay, so my first DUI was when I was 22. I know that I had been kind of experimenting with drugs and alcohol, like since teenage years, that kind of thing. But when I was 22, I was just coming out, realizing that I was gay and went to a gay bar and literally got shit faced and drove. I got into an accident. That was my first experience of, you know, any sort of legal issues. From that time, I was convinced that I was too young to be an alcoholic. You know, I had a vision in my head of what alcoholism was, and I definitely wasn't that. At that time, I pretty much did everything possible to not be an alcoholic and convince myself that I didn't have a problem. Tell us more about that. What did you do? I had just moved to Santa Barbara. I come from a little town called Rialto, California, which is kind of just, oh my gosh, super small, nothing cultural going on, any of those kinds of things. But I had moved to Santa Barbara, and that's pretty much during this whole time frame of like coming out, getting arrested. In that process, Santa Barbara offers all kinds of cultural, you know, experiences, and it was like a whole new world had opened up to me. I started getting into like nutrition, um, just different things like that. I was exploring any like holistic studies, those kinds of things. Um, I had even gone to massage school. So there was this whole other life that was starting to blossom. Um, and I was just going with that, exercising, all the things, eating well. During this time, also, too, I had come out to my family and my family. Definitely, my mom was having a very hard time with that. She basically told me that, you know, I don't care what you do, just don't do not do it in this town. The girlfriend that I was dating at the time, we had been talking about going to San Francisco. So we basically did. We're just like, all right, let's go. So anyway, so life was good up in the Bay Area. Of course, you know, I'm super happy. There's a big gay community up there. I was working for um, actually a physical therapist, and I also had another job at a chiropractor's office and um, acupuncturist. So I was still involved with all of these kinds of healing modalities and et cetera, et cetera. And I also had like a, a retail job working like it was at this place called Restoration Hardware, whatever, uh, working in the warehouse there. So. Anyway, so there's life is going on. We're getting close to almost about like eight years of sobriety. There was in about a month's period of time, I had come to the realization that there was some trauma that happened in my childhood. And I was having memories of that. And I expressed it to my family. They didn't believe me. It was definitely a rocky, a rocky time. Like I could feel that my foundation was starting to shake and uh, crumble. In that time frame too, in this, in this, about it was about a month. My girlfriend and I, we had broken up as well. So that was like, a, and we had been together for probably about like six years. 
So I kind of thought this was it. We're going the distance. We're going to build life together, all these things. So anyway, so these two tragedies that took place, it was extremely difficult for me. And I ended up drinking. I consequently took a bunch of Ativan, almost like a whole prescription bottle of Ativan. So I ended up in a coma and it, I ended up in a mental hospital. The mental hospital was directly related to that incident because they considered it a suicidal yeah, attempt? Yeah, it was a suicidal attempt. And I think I was in a coma like for seven days too. So it was, it was pretty gnarly. Was that a suicidal attempt? Like, was that it's something you were doing to end your life? I can't really say that it was. Why can't you say that it was? Like, what about that because, do you hesitate on? Um, It wasn't like I had... I don't recall any suicidal ideology prior to that. I remember drinking, and I remember seeing the prescription, and then I remember just, like, waking up. You so know. when you took the prescription, you weren't like, okay, this is it. Like, this I can't do really it. say that it was. Yeah. yeah. But the, the gravity of how much I took yeah. indicates that. Right. Yeah, I see that. So, yeah. so I don't know if I was just disconnected. Yeah. Just, it was like, I, I was so numb at that time. It was hard to connect on some of the things. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. You know. How old are you around this time? Like- uh, about 30, 31. So, so your world is crumbling. Yeah. You broke, you and your girlfriend break up. Yeah. Your family kind of disregards you mm-hmm. and you're drinking, yeah. taking pills. Are you using yeah. any drugs at this time? No. Okay. No. And what um, was the mental hospital like? That was, in, uh, it was, um. Crazy? It was the worst. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitely crazy. And, um. Super extreme cases were there, you know, and I was like, what am I doing here? This is not where I belong. Oh, my God. I just made a mistake. I had a little too much, you know, and right there I start rationalizing all this stuff and I'm just trying to get out. And what had happened was that I was committed to the institution because of the drug overdose and the severity of the consequences of that. So what ends up happening is that the only way that I could get out of the mental institution was to have somebody sign me out. And lo and behold, who is it? It's my family. On one hand, it's a great thing. But on the other hand, that means I'm going right back into the situation Yeah, that is so devastating. Mm-hmm. I definitely remember like such repression, repression of anger, all the things. I felt so broken, like I couldn't even fight to argue, to disagree, anything, to stand up for myself at all. Because with that overdose, there was some brain damage too, you know, that took place. Because there was a certain functioning level that I wasn't the same anymore. And I could really see it. So anyway, so I'm back. Now I'm in like in Santa Barbara or Santa Maria, where my family lives. Probably took me about a month there before I started drinking. And when you left the mental hospital, were you like, I'm never drinking again? Or was it like, no, I just didn't know. I didn't like when I left the mental institution, like I, I think my primary focus was just get the hell out of there. Yeah. Like, I don't care. I will say whatever. Yeah. Do it. Okay. Sure. I love my family. Yeah. They're safe. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. And it was hundred percent quite the opposite. 
I just kind of figured like, all right, I'll just kind of figure it out from there or whatever. I just didn't even know. There was no plan, no healthy plan of escape. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so I started drinking probably about a month out from that. And that's when I was actually introduced to some methamphetamine. And at that point in time, it was like, oh my gosh, this is great. I could drink. I could think. I could like process it hit a part of my brain that I felt like wasn't working since that overdose, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so to me, I thought, oh, this is perfect. This is it. I um, have a question. Yeah. I always wonder, like, the first time someone does a drug like methamphetamine or mm-hmm. otherwise, like, what's going on in your head to think, yeah, I'm going to do this? <laughs> that that would be okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Basically, what it was is I was I was super drunk. Okay. I was at a bar and somebody was like, "Here, I've got something that you can. It'll wake you up just enough." And it seemed appealing to me. Yeah. I was like, "Okay." You know, and looking back at it, I'm like, I'm snorting a line. Like, how is that? You know what? Yeah. What makes that okay? Yeah. And and yet there's just a part of me that I think I was hurting so bad. You know, being under the influence, my judgment was even more so out the window. Mm-hmm. I and just, just wanting to feel better. Just wanting to feel better at whatever cost, you know? Yeah. And so anyway, so I started uh, doing methamphetamine. And of course, it wasn't it wasn't every day. It was like probably like once a month. And then it turned into a couple times a month. And then it became pretty much once a week. Then what ended up happening was I was spending so much money on buying the drugs I thought I had the grand idea of like okay what if what if I start selling it (laughs) to make up the difference and I wouldn't even have to purchase it anymore you're such an entrepreneur (laughs) yeah I'd just be making money and I did I started making money and I started selling drugs and takes about two years of that where I didn't feel like I had a drug problem Mm-hmm. you know just kind of thought all right this is this is what I'm gonna do now I was tired of I had spent those years prior being so good and fighting for everything to make my life different and when that didn't turn out I actually went in an absolute reverse direction I just pretty much I was just brokenhearted really and then just kind of driving on that once I started doing methamphetamine regular and I've now I, you know, escalated to selling it, there's a certain level of criminal activity that goes along with that. And That's my, a nice way to put it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and mind you, too, there's still that break from being rejected for being gay. Mm-hmm. There's still that rejection now of that um, relationship breakup. There's still that, like whole issue of abuse and trauma so I'm naturally gravitating to this community that is seemingly so open and welcoming regardless of anything mm-hmm. you know yeah. at all and yeah you're safe here come on you know we got you and so I become loyal to that whole situation and I'm beginning to think that that's the only way that I'm going to make it in life. And there was a part of me that I just couldn't see past anything. Like mm-hmm. there really was no forward. 
And it was a matter of like, how do I exist now with what I have? Because um, with that heartache that I was carrying, that big hole in my heart was that you really don't deserve anything. You know, it's almost like everything that my family had said about being gay was true. Because look at it didn't turn out and see, look at you totally fucked up. And then also too, like what society says about like, oh, most gay people have been um, abused in their childhood. So it's not really even you're not even really gay. Or something like that. Mm. You know, I had been told so many of those kinds mm-hmm. of things just because like society wasn't the same now as it was then. I mean, a lot has changed and I'm grateful for that. But at that time, these were the things I was working with. And then it became rather than being the victim, I was gonna be the person who is the aggressor, like doing the drugs, um, selling the drugs. It gave me a perfect outlet to act out on my anger. You know, and all be the in things, control of and it. And being in control of everything yeah. in my life in this environment. That was 30 years of yeah. being in that chaos and in and out of jail and prison and having all of the, yeah. these 22 offenses throughout those years. Oh, yeah. And not just that. I'm sure there's a lot going mm. on. Right. Um, then you come to a place of sobriety. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us how you came to that place? Like what, what switched from having these 30 years of living in that to, to who you are right now? Like Mm. what, what was the factor in all of that? Well, it's kind of, I kind of came around it, a roundabout to it in a backward way. My house had gotten raided and I was looking at a second prison term which was going to be 10 years because of prior enhancement. So it was ironic at that particular time too, before my house got raided, I was getting super tired. I was already like, man, how like I'm too old for this, you know, and and things are getting super crazy in that life. People dying, all the things, you know, it was just trauma after trauma, trauma. So ironically, I was fighting this court case to avoid going to prison and I kept trying to get into a drug rehab the courts at that time saw that request as just somebody who's trying to escape from going to prison you know yeah because I mean you know and like that's a bad thing yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) because when I had initially did my first prison or when I first did a prison term I had denied rehab at that point because I thought that was I I couldn't see myself staying sober that long so this time around they're like you denied it already you're not going to have it this time just trying to escape these charges in this process my family now is becoming more involved I actually had a spiritual experience that my aunt was praying for me And mind you, I was definitely not Christian, definitely everything against Christianity. But my aunt was praying for me. And in this particular moment, something transpired inside of me. It's hard to describe. But at that moment, I would say that's when the switch hit. Mm -hmm. And I can't say that my life was like super wonderful from that point on. It wasn't like that. It was a heart change, though. Something had awoken inside of me. Mm -hmm. Shortly thereafter, 
I devised a plan. My family devised a plan, my brother and my aunt, um, that I was going to go to a faith-based rehab in El Centro, California. And there was a part of me that I was like, and if it doesn't work, I'm just going to cross the border and just like disappear because <laughs> I am so not going to go to prison for 10 years. Like yeah. I will never come out. You yeah. Know? And so the courts were against that, but I did it anyway. And so that was, um, and that was in 2010. Mm-hmm. And so that was the beginning of me trying to get sober, wanting to have a better life, not even close to knowing how to navigate what that looked like, you know, but the months that had passed, first, it was only going to be like 30 days and the court was going to decide what they were going to do with me. Then the 30 days came into 60 days and then 90 days. And then what ended up happening was that when it came time to decide what they were going to do with me, either prison or whatever, they wanted to go ahead and see the prison thing out because the only thing I could do was plead guilty to this charge. So having said that, that would mean a prison term. What ended up happening is that they made a deal that if I was to plead guilty, that they were going to actually give me a drug rehab, like they were going to court commit me to this rehab program. And that was like, to me, I felt like that was, that was a miracle because the prosecution was saying literally that I was a menace to society, that I needed to be removed from society, all these bad things about who I was. And she was a hundred percent firm about it. But the judge was like, he was reading it, he was listening to it, and he's like, I disagree. In the time that we initially saw her to the time that we're looking at her now, what I believe we should do is keep her where she's at and let it see to it. Yeah. Yeah. So so there was another, like, God shot right there. I was like, how the heck? I mean, it was literally almost seemingly impossible that would ever even happen. I finished the program out there. Going to a faith-based program for somebody who's gay is kind of a hard thing to do. Mm -hmm. And I think I was like the first gay person who was in this program. After I got out of the program, I like relapsed pretty much right away, even though I was given that gift, even though all the things were happening, I still was like struggling so hard with my addiction. Went into another faith-based program thinking that that was going to be different because there's still this part of me that wanted to understand more about God, wanted to, like, I just, I just didn't, I didn't know any other way to yeah. do it. So I went into another faith, faith-based program, got out of that, relapsed after that. And so we're closing into probably about like 2016 at this point. I end up back in Santa Maria. At that second faith-based program, I had met some people from Pismo Beach. So on a lark, what I ended up doing was I come out to Pismo Beach trying to find these people at church. Didn't find them at church, but I ended up seeing them like uh, driving driving on the road. So pull them over. Hey. So random. <laughs> yeah, so 100% random. I'm like, hey, hi, remember me? They're like, what? Oh, my gosh. And so anyway, so they end up giving me a phone number to call it's a recovery home that is starting out or it wasn't I don't think it was starting out it was it was kind of newly established mm-hmm. and so anyways so what's I, a recovery home a recovery home is 
like where people have a certain amount of sobriety. They're all there, either sometimes they're court ordered, sometimes not. Basically, it's kind of like a little program. So you go to meeting. If this one it was a faith based, so there's like prayer going on. There's and it's like a house studies. that you live at. Yeah, it's a house that you live it's like at. Like a supportive housing that yeah. you guys have a community of people that are all on the same page yeah. and kind of all on the same page and yeah. experiencing life together and mm-hmm. helping each other and growing yeah. and learning and yeah. Sometimes relapse is a part of that, and then you. Go yeah. to so a sober house or a right. It's kind of like a transitional. Again. Yeah, it's like a it's a transitional. Yeah. yeah. Okay. From there, they made some phone calls and collected some money together because I was 100% broke, working with zero, minus zero. They collected some monies, got me from Santa Maria to this place here. I guess it was Grover Beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Around that time. The program there is disbanding. So and, this is so you're still oh, relapsing, going yeah. into programs, yeah. relapsing. So it, you had this spiritual awakening or this spiritual experience with God in 2010. Yes. And then 2016. So for six years or so, you're mm-hmm. having these yes. relapses and going yes. in and out of these different sober livings. Okay. Yes. So yeah. then, then we get to 2016. You're in the sober living, and this is about if the math is right, I think. Yeah, this is four and a half years. Yeah. Yeah, of sober. So nice. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's important to say that sobriety doesn't always just happen, regardless of all the things, like for for myself as an addict or recovering addict, there's a lot involved with that. You can be given chances. You could be all these things. And, you know, it's like you want to so bad to get better and to not live that way. But sometimes the traumas that you're carrying with you are so heavy that you don't know how to move past that, you Mm -hmm. know. And so it takes time. This is what I'm trying to say is like sometimes it's just not that overnight kind of thing, even though to most people they think like it's a no brainer. Like, wow, wouldn't you just want to just keep moving forward in that direction? But it's difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What's changed over these past four and a half years compared to those six years in between recovery homes and wanting to be sober but not knowing how compared to these past four years or four and a half years of sobriety where you have not relapsed or have not gone back into that addiction? What's different is that my last relapse was extremely... I became a totally different person and I hurt people that I love very dearly. I believe that I came to the end of myself with that. The relapses before were justifiable in my mind Mm. and this wasn't. And the truth of that was devastating and life-changing. When you come across people who finally see you for who you are in a place of like because that's when that's when I met you Mm -hmm. and you were like probably the only person who could see me for who I am who I could be without having some sort of agenda for me to follow Mm. and without seeing me for my past and I was able to open up to you about my past and there was no judgment 
So that was a big difference for me because it, it just moved my heart. Mm. You know, I think it's really rare. I think that the way that you live life spoke to me in volumes of it is possible to be seen and not be judged. So that was a big, like, we're talking 30 some years of being judged and all the things, you know? Yeah. It made me open up my eyes to the possibilities. And even that in itself, I had to navigate through. It mm-hmm. was not easy because then there's all this other stuff, like mm-hmm. how I'm seeing things and how I'm interacting. Yeah. That's what changed for me. So you got sober. Now you said you're a massage therapist. Yes. And you're getting back on track. You've been back on track. And so you have this whole new life, it sounds like. Yes. What's that like? Well, (laughs) it's good. It's taken a lot of hard work to get to this place. And I feel like even at four, four and a half years sobriety, I feel like I'm just kind of waking up right now. What are the things that have helped you the most along the way? My faith, support, the 12 steps served a purpose for me to get stabilized, utilizing that. So there's that fellowship there. I really found that the Enneagram was actually super beneficial. Yeah. What's your Enneagram type? I'm four. I'm okay. a four <laughs> uh, with a five wing. So, so yeah, so all these different things together, it's been a learning process of what works, what doesn't. About two years into sobriety, I realized that I needed to go on meds. So that was huge. How did you come to that realization? (laughs) Meltdown! Yeah, it was just like I was, you know, I had like two years sobriety and I kept thinking, I'm like, oh my God, it's got to, like, please tell me this is not how it is. Yeah. Like, God. <laughs> yeah. I just want to drink. <laughs> There's some people that just need to drink. Yeah. And I would even actually tell myself, I'm like, okay, well, if this doesn't get better by, you know, at that point it was like two years of sobriety. You're like, I'll give this shit three more months. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. And I just kept thinking that. And it's funny, like, before that, the time frame that I said that, okay, well, I'm going to a little bit drinking if this don't get better. Um, something always good would happen. And it's, it's really true what they say about like, don't quit before the miracle. Yeah. And there are things, some people need meds and it made a huge difference for me. I was able to stabilize and not fight so hard because mm-hmm. I've had to fight, fight, fight for this whole time frame. You know, no matter how much I prayed, no matter how much I did the steps, no matter all the things, I was doing all the stuff, and it still was very difficult. One thing we like to ask people is, as friends or loved ones of people who are struggling with addiction, what advice do you have for us to help support a loved one in their Mm. time of need? I would say, get ready. (laughs) Yeah. Hold on to your hat, you know? I would say definitely seeing the person who they are and not whatever actions of the addiction that have been presenting themselves are. Mm-hmm. But also maintaining boundaries. I was going to say, and I think the boundaries is like huge. 
So knowing what you're capable of. Yeah. What you can work with. I see you. I love you. But this mm-hmm. is a no bullshit zone. Yes, exactly. And then like just stay consistent with that. What are some things that you do now in your sobriety to help maintain your mental health and to help care for yourself? Again, just learning to navigate that yeah. <laughs> on a steady basis. Getting outdoors is like one of the the biggest things for me. That's a place that where I sometimes I feel most comfortable. My job is super taxing at the same time so rewarding so I have to disconnect a lot from everything and that's okay you know before I just kept trying to just do 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 and I always end up in that same place and I'm learning how to eat right how to get enough rest that kind of stuff reading has become a thing for me for it's been always a struggle, I think, because my brain wasn't 100% working so well. <laughs> but I'm finding I'm finding relief in the words that I'm reading. I'm reading a couple good books. What books are you reading right now? Uh, there's one, uh, it's called How to, How to Quit Like a Woman mm-hmm. by uh, Holly Whitaker. It's a really good book about um, people who are super curious. Mm. Gives all kinds of different perspectives about not calling it alcoholism or addiction. There's a place that comes prior to that and trying to address those kind of behaviors prior to becoming an addict or an alcoholic. I like that word, sober curious. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And the other one is uh, your body keeps score. So it's about um, past traumas and things like that. How are you feeling about that book? Are you... Are you pretty into it right now? It's it's doable. Yeah. 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 It's one of those things I got to pick up and then put down, pick yeah. up, put down, but it's good. I've heard mixed reviews about that. Yeah. I've heard it's a great book, and I've also heard that it could be very re-traumatizing, mm-hmm. reliving some of the traumas. Yeah. Because it's very detailed. And I'm reading a very detailed, traumatizing book right now, yeah. and I, I read a chapter, and I just could not keep reading it because there's so mm. much detail in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it's the way that hard. it's worded is yeah is kind of detailed. Okay. <laughs> just wanted uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, that's cool. If well, there's something you can say, if there's one thing you can say to a person who might be listening, who might be in the thick of it right now, what would you tell them? That there's hope for sure. There is a better life ahead. To keep pursuing. No matter what, like, just don't stop. Even if it takes 50 times, like, don't stop trying. There's people out there that love you. You know, I don't think that we are meant to be addicted to these things. And it's a result of a past trauma or habitual experience. So with all that said, keep pushing past and don't try to figure too, too much out immediately. Just reach out. Ask for help. Ask for help, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today and pouring your little soul out to us. (laughs) Thank you so much, Monica. I've got to watch this whole experience for you, and it's very encouraging to me to see you go from, like, where you were at in your addiction to where you are now. Yeah. And... Like just to see how hard you have been working to get to this point and all the 
ins and outs and ups and downs. And it's a beautiful thing to see where you're at right now. Because I know how hard it has been for you. I've been in the front row cheering you on. And it's good to see where you're at right now. And I just thank you so much for sharing with our audience a little bit about you. A little bit about your past. About what's going on now. Yep. And hope for the future. So there if any of our listeners want to get a massage, hey, yeah, <laughs> yeah, where can they find I you? <laughs> well, I work at the Cliffs. You can contact me there. Yeah, and despite all the past addiction and all that stuff, I give one hell of a massage. She really does. Yeah. She is yeah. the best. Can confirm. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> all right. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening. You can find us on Instagram at That's Not Crazy Podcast and on Facebook at That's Not Crazy. We hope to interact with you there. Bye. Bye. Adios. Go away. Get out of here. Shoo.